Living Stones is our discipleship pathway we use to bring people to faith, to grow people in the faith and their life, and how we raise up new leaders. 1 Peter 2.5 You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. We're exploring the second zone of discipleship, the courtyard, where a person learns to live reconciled with God. There are three steps in this area, sacraments, spiritual disciplines, and stewardship. Even though these three are God and me focused, they still affect my relationships with others. Let's look at the second step, spiritual disciplines, which is illustrated by the tribe of Asher. Last time, we talked about why we brush our teeth and how it's like the sacraments, a single act that has an ongoing ramification for my day or my life. Spiritual disciplines are also like brushing teeth because they are something that has to be done regularly, repeatedly, in order to be effective. If I want healthy teeth, I must brush and floss daily. If I want to lose weight or gain muscle, I must exercise regularly. If I want to maintain a healthy weight or blood sugar, I must maintain my diet daily. If I want to have energy, I must sleep and eat daily. In the same way, spiritual health is maintained through regular, often daily, practices of spiritual discipline. In general, spiritual disciplines are in three categories. Engaging in prayer, engaging in the scriptures, and engaging in the community of believers. While it is the resurrection power of Jesus that transforms me from death to life, and the Holy Spirit who empowers me to live a new life, it's my disciplines of prayer, the scriptures, and community that moves me along in my new life. In Philippians 3.10-12, the Apostle Paul said, My goal is to know him and the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, assuming that I will somehow reach the resurrection from among the dead. Not that I have already reached the goal, or I am already perfect, but I make every effort to take hold of it because I have also been taken hold of by Christ Jesus. If my goal is to know Christ and access his resurrection power, the effort I take to take hold of that resurrection power is the spiritual disciplines. We call them disciplines because intimacy takes work. Devotion writer Gordon Lester wrote this, quote, Familiarity and intimacy are not the same. Each has a value in life, but no one is the substitute for the other. If one is confused with the other, we have the basis for major human and marital unrest. In marriage, familiarity is unscapable. It happens almost imperceptibly. Intimacy is usually hard to come by. It must be deliberately sought and opened up and responded to. Familiarity brings a degree of ease and comfort. Intimacy anxiously searches for deep understanding and personal appreciation. I want to challenge you today to do more than be comfortable with God. Comfort is for my bed or my sofa. Intimacy is for a person. It's also appropriate that I use consuming healthy food as an illustration because listen to Asher's blessing from Genesis 49.20. Asher's food will be rich and he will produce royal delicacies. Asher's blessing is about eating and producing food, not just for himself, but also for others. 
Rich food means rich with fat, robust food, sumptuous food. This is the food that Asher is blessed to eat and to give because these are royal delicacies. Asher eats and provides food for a king. This makes Asher a royal steward, a cupbearer like Nehemiah. The king's cupbearer eats the royal food and then serves that food to the king. Initially, this made me think that Asher should be our illustration for stewardship, but Joseph is certainly the good steward. The king that I am to serve is certainly King Jesus, the king of kings. The food that Jesus wants me to produce is obedience and good character. 1 Samuel 15:22. Then Samuel said, Does the Lord take pleasure in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the Lord? Look, to obey is better than sacrifice. To pay attention is better than the fat of rams. In Galatians 5:16 and 22-23. I say then, walk by the Spirit, and you will certainly not carry out the desires of the flesh. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The law is not against such things. Spiritual disciplines are one way I cultivate this food, this fruit of obedience. One descendant of Asher fulfills the blessing from Genesis 49.20, the prophetess Anna. Luke 2, 36-38 tells her story when baby Jesus is brought to the temple for circumcision. Luke 2, 36-38. There was also a prophetess, Anna, a daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was well along in years, having lived with her husband seven years after her marriage, and was a widow for 84 years. She did not leave the temple, serving God night and day with fasting and prayer. At that very moment, she came up and began to thank God and to speak about him to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. In Anna, I see I need to live with God. Luke gives a lot of importance to Anna, more than we can see with a casual reading of the text. She has the title of prophetess, which is not given to many people in the Bible. As a prophet, she speaks the word of the Lord. Her age gives her the authority of an elder. Luke saying she was a widow for 84 years can mean that she was 84 years old when Jesus was brought to the temple. Luke may also want his readers to add numbers. A woman usually got married at age 14. Anna was married for 7 years, and then a widow for 84. This would make Anna 105, which is the same age as the Jewish character Judith, who saves Israel from the Assyrians, as accounted in the Apocrypha. Comparing Anna to Judith would give Jewish readers another reason to affirm Anna could be called by the Lord. Her being a widow affirms her piety in her culture. A woman who was widowed and chose not to get married again was considered especially righteous and devoted to God. That Anna would devote herself to God at such a young age when she certainly would have had the opportunity to have another husband and have a family, demonstrates her commitment to God and her former husband. Because the text does not say that she was unable to have children. While it could be that Anna ended up living at the temple because of poverty, we cannot assume that. We can just as easily presume that Anna made a choice to live in God's house. She chose not to get married again. She chose 
perhaps to allow whatever property her husband might have owned to go back to her, his family. She chose not to return to her own family. She chose, based on her gifts and calling from God as a prophet, to live in God's house, the temple. Where do we choose to live? Sometimes, when we're older, we look for places with certain amenities to take care of our physical needs. When we're younger, we look for the right long-term investment. In both cases, we're often looking for a certain type of community, whether that is people in our same age or life stage or socioeconomics, ethnicity, or whatever. As a pastor, I admit to being mentally torn on where to live. As a husband and father, I want to make good financial investments for my family. I want my children to be safe and to go to a good school. My real estate agent, doing his job, tells me, this is a good neighborhood, that's a great city, if you move over there, you better be sure that's where you want to move. In reality, over there is code for an area that may have more crime, or may be poorer, or may be more ethnic. Now, if I separate my husband-father role from my follower of Jesus role, and really the two can't be separated except in my own mind, but if I do separate them, I think the poor neighborhood is exactly where God would want me to move. The high crime area needs a light in the darkness. If I want to be in a multi-ethnic church, I should live in the multi-ethnic area. Where I choose to live impacts who I become and who I have the opportunity to reach with the good news of salvation through faith in Jesus. Anna chooses to live in the temple where she can focus her life around God and regularly interact with people who are seeking a relationship with and understanding of God. She's not just choosing to be in God's presence, but also choosing to be in the community of God's people. The temple is where worship of God occurred every day. As a follower of Jesus, I need to develop a regular practice of fellowship in the community as a spiritual discipline to grow in intimacy with God. Living with God does not mean I have to become a monk or a woman, become a nun, and live in a monastery or convent. It doesn't mean I have to be at the church facility every time the door is open, although I should absolutely take advantage of the times the building is open for worship and to minister, be ministered to and to minister to others. Living with God means I make a choice to always recognize and invite God's presence wherever I am residing or working or playing. Brother Lawrence called this practicing the presence of God. While this could mean in practice choosing to live in a particular community, neighborhood, or becoming a member of a particular church congregation, the core of spiritual disciplines is choosing to live my life in community with God. This is a simple choice, but not always a s simple to live out. Like Anna, living my life with God may mean that I can't live my life with someone or for something else. Anna couldn't live with God and have children of her own. I can I can't live with I can live in, with God and have a family but not live with pornography. I can't live with God and drunkenness. I can't live with God and racism. But I need to live with God if I want to have intimacy with God. 
I choose to live with God and I choose to interact with God. When I first moved out of my parents' house, I was invited by a man in my church to come and live with him. He had an extra room and maybe needed a little extra income for his payments. I'm not sure about that. But I moved in with Bob. Bob worked and I worked. We didn't have a TV. We kept our food separate, so we didn't eat together. I was doing youth ministry, and eventually Bob got a girlfriend he was serious about. We didn't see each other much at home because we were doing our own things. We saw each other more at church. One time Bob's girlfriend brought, bought us some Marie Callender's pot pies and told us to have a meal together, which we did. And after about a year, I said to Bob, this has been a great year, but my parents would like me to move back home, and I'd like to move back to their house also. And I also got the feeling that he was ready to marry his girlfriend, Kathy. So I said, if you are waiting to marry Kathy because you feel an obligation to give me a place to live, don't worry about that. Well, Bob went and proposed to Kathy, and I packed to move home. Before I left, because we had interacted so infrequently, Bob said to me, you're the best roommate I never had. While avoiding one another may make it for good roommates, it makes for a a lousy relationship with God. If I choose to live with God, I have to choose to interact with God. Look at what Anna did as she lived with God. She did not leave the temple. This doesn't mean she stayed in her room all the time. The temple complex was large. This uh, means she never moved out of the temple to live somewhere else. She at least never left Jerusalem. It could mean that she never left the temple complex or the temple mount. But either way, Anna is always in the community of God's people. And in this zone, whether it was the temple proper or the whole city, she serves God continually. Night and day she serves God, which should, which should remind us of the creation account in Genesis 1, where God works from evening till morning each day. Anna is also in a daily rhythm of doing God's work. But Anna is not a Levite or a man, so what work is she doing in the temple? Anna fasts and prays. Anna's work is to interact with God. Fasting is denying my body of one thing, usually food, in order to spend that time and energy with God in prayer. We don't know what Anna prayed for. Over the course of 84 years, her prayer focus probably changed quite a bit. But we do know she fasted and prayed regularly, perhaps daily. I picture her schedule to be like Daniel the prophet, who also prayed daily. Only instead of facing toward Jerusalem like Daniel, she prayed in Jerusalem. A spiritual discipline that is added to community is prayer. As a follower of Jesus, to gain intimacy with God, I need to develop a regular practice of prayer as a spiritual discipline. Prayer is active communication with God. It's where I talk, but I also listen. I may recite prayers from the past, psalms or other historical prayers, or speak my own words. The point is that whatever words I use, they express what I want to say to God. Sometimes prayer is done alone and other times in groups. Prayer involves words, sometimes music, and always silence. I may pray for things or people or just to give thanks or to know God better. One prayer tool we have in our area to, with the opportunity to use is a prayer labyrinth. I take high school seniors to the labyrinth to pray. 
Intimacy with God is not that I learn a specific form of prayer, but that I learn to pray regularly. Just as honest two-way communication improves any human relationship, two-way communication improves my relationship with God and the other people I join in prayer. I choose to live with God, I choose to interact with God, and I choose to talk about God. The last thing we read about Anna doing is approaching Jesus, Mary, and Joseph. She publicly thanks God, and then she speaks to everyone there who was looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. In other words, everyone who was awaiting the Messiah. She teaches them that the Messiah is here, and perhaps what the Messiah is going to do, and what they should do in response. Here we see Anna again interacting in the community area of spiritual disciplines as she interacts with other people to teach and worship. Anna of the tribe of Asher is fulfilling Genesis 49.20. She's before the king of kings and the spiritual food she has both taken in and offers to others are delicacies. I want to speculate on how Anna knew that Jesus was the Messiah. Some ideas we can get straight from the text. Before Anna spoke about Jesus, Simeon had declared Jesus the Messiah. Anna had to have heard Simeon and probably knew Simeon. Anna was a prophet, so maybe God also supernaturally revealed to her who Jesus was. That's an absolute valid possibility. A third possibility I see, which is not stated in the text, but I think would be assumed by any reader of this story, or person who knew Anna. I think Anna knew the scriptures. People who know the scriptures can figure out what God is doing, even when God also provides special revelation. How did Herod find out where Jesus was born? Matthew 2, 4-6 says, The chief priests and scribes looked in the writings of the prophets where it said the place would be Bethlehem in Judah. How did Daniel who received many special visions directly from God, how did he know that the exile was soon coming to an end? Daniel 9.2 says that Daniel figured this out by reading the words of the prophet Jeremiah. It's not a stretch at all to surmise that Anna knew and heard Simeon. Anna knew and understood the time she lived in. Anna may have received messages from God. And that Anna knew the scriptures. So she was able to recognize the Messiah and teach people about him. The first time I led a backpacking trip, I had never been backpack camping before in my life. I had no experience. I didn't know even someone to talk to to gain knowledge. So I went to the library. I got, I got and read two books on backpacking, and I also read maps and information about Point Reyes National Seashore, which is where we were going to camp. That first trip was a fantastic trip. I was fully prepared because I read and learned from the material that was available to me. I was also able to share the knowledge I gained with other people who went on the trip so that they could have a good experience. In addition to community and prayer, as a follower of Jesus, I must develop a regular practice in the scriptures to develop intimacy with God. Listening to a sermon once a week is not enough. I believe the Bible is practical. Someone might argue, the Bible doesn't tell me which car I should buy. Well, the Bible says the church in Jerusalem was all in one accord. And if you're a motorcycle enthusiast, the sound of David's triumph 
was heard throughout the land. Seriously, though, the Bible doesn't name the make and model of car I should buy. But it does contain stories and commands about how I can wisely and generously use my money. The Bible doesn't tell me by name who I should marry. But it does contain stories and commands about sexuality, human identity, relationships, and marriage. The Bible doesn't tell me by name who should be a leader in the church. But it does contain lists and examples of character qualities that a leader should have. The Bible doesn't tell me what will happen tomorrow. But it does tell me how God is going to complete the story of the redemption of humanity. Intimacy with a person is knowing that person's mind, what they think, and why they think that way. If I want to know the mind of God, I need to read and meditate on and study the words God has given me. It's the work of the Holy Spirit in a person revealing the understanding of the words of God that develops the mind of Christ. I didn't say that very well, but we need the Holy Spirit to work in us. This is the meaning of uh, 1 Corinthians 2, 14-18. But the person without the Spirit does not receive what comes from God's Spirit, because it is foolishness to him. He's not able to understand it since it is evaluated spiritually. The spiritual person, however, can evaluate everything, and yet he himself cannot be evaluated by anyone. For who has known the Lord's mind that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. See, I can't speak about God with authority until I know God intimately through his word, the Bible, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. There's no deeper level of intimacy than to know the mind of another person. And this is the intimacy that God offers his followers. We unfortunately live in a society that has separated intimacy from relationship. I can be intimate with my body and have no knowledge of the other person and never see them again that's not the way god is jesus gave his life on the cross so that i could have my disobedience forgiven and have a relationship with god the father is it too much to ask that i make an effort to live and develop that relationship asher lives in intimacy with the king a disciple attains an onyx stone upon learning and practicing Christian spiritual disciplines, community, develop a regular practice in the community of God's people, prayer, develop a regular practice of prayer, scriptures, develop a regular practice engaging in the scriptures. That's how I develop intimacy with God and others. Our prayer today is taken from Psalm 14. The fool says in his heart, there is no God, They are corrupt. They do vile deeds. There is no one who does good. The Lord looks down from heaven on the human race to see if there is one who is wise, one who seeks God. Lord, may we not live as foolish people who do not perceive you, but do the work to know you. As your son, sacrifice so that you may know us. May we have your mind that we may live as you would have us live, and love as you would have us love. Amen. Go forth to live as disciples, serving God with your whole being, knowing that you are empowered by the Holy Spirit 
to do great exploits in God's name.